0: Before we get into our text tonight, I want to share a few things that are on my heart as this continues and try to give some vision for our church. And the first is is to continue to be the church. Be the church. Like, now the restrictions change to where We can meet in groups of 10, and if you feel comfortable, and if you feel led to, is to reach out to other believers and start to fellowship uh, with one another. That's a personal choice and a personal decision, but if you don't feel comfortable doing that, please pick up the phone and call other believers and have that fellowship over the phone, but it's really important for us to continue to be the church, to continue to love and care for one another, and you guys are doing a great job at that. Also, I would encourage us and challenge us to be missional. This is the time to not shrink back from sharing the love of Jesus Christ. You've probably noticed that a lot of people are walking around in discouragement and despair, despondency, Their faces are down, feeling hopeless, and this is an opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus Christ with them, to share the gospel, Jesus Christ and him uh, crucified. And then lastly is if you would be in prayer about when we are able to come back together and meet and believe in faith that God is going to do a great work. I've been praying, you've been praying that there would be a spiritual awakening and it's gonna be an exciting time when we are allowed to come back together as a church family and I hope God really uses that to bring many people to come to know Christ as our Savior. So we're gonna get through this, we're, we're gonna endure, God's gonna be faithful to us as a church family. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter five, 1 Corinthians chapter five, we're continuing through This epistle, I do want to give this disclaimer tonight. Is this is going to cover the birds and the bees? It it does have that topic, and I know that many are gathered with their families and young kids, and so just be warned of uh, the content in First Corinthians five because we're definitely going to go there this evening. So let's pray together and prepare hearts uh, to read the Word. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. And we pause to give you our hearts afresh. Father, I would ask that you would just pour out your grace and pour out your mercy upon us as a church family and upon our community. And we turn our eyes to you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We want to be faithful to you. and We know that you are faithful. And tonight, as we look at this topic of tough love and church discipline, that we would see your heart for us to live a godly life, to live a pure life. So Holy Spirit, we surrender this time over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've really developed as a culture our own definition of love. We have claimed that love is tolerance, that if I love you, if you love me, that we're just going to tolerate one another's believers. And I'd like to challenge you tonight to look deeper at what God's definition of love is. Not the world's definition of love, but how does God define love? Because he says that he is love. And the Bible, the scriptures, give us a a definition and understanding of love. I love my kids, my four kids, and when they were younger, I would not let them play underneath the kitchen sink because there's chemicals that are there. What if I allowed them as a toddler just to begin to play with the bleach and drink the bleach like water and tolerate that behavior and say, I don't want to diminish them as a child or squash them as a child, so just go ahead and and play with the bleach. You would say, Eric, you're an irresponsible parent. And when it comes to Christian love, God's love for one another, we have to love one another enough to challenge each other. That's part of love. God tells us that He is the ultimate loving Father and He disciplines those He loves. In the church of Corinth, it's unhealthy. There's sin that's being tolerated. There's sin that's being accepted that should be challenged and Paul as a good spiritual father is going to discipline and bring health to this church. I would just ask as we look at this topic of biblical sexuality and biblical accountability that you would keep your hearts and your minds open, that you would endeavor to try to accept biblical truth and not simply rely on cultural truth. It is actually reported, verse one, that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as it's not named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. So here's a man that's in the fellowship, in the church, regularly worshiping, regularly part of the body life of the church, but yet he's also living in sexual immorality. He's living in sexual sin. This word sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea, and it speaks of any type of sexual sin that's outside of God's design. So it's important for us to stop and ask the question, well, what is God's design for sexuality? First, sex is God's idea. God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Here's Adam alone. And God says it's not good for him to be alone. So God creates Eve and blesses Adam with Eve. And we see the first marriage. And there's no shame there. And they're able to enjoy each other intimately. And God says this is a good thing. And God blessed them in this sexual union. So here's God's design. Here is how God created sexuality. Biblical sexuality is between a man and a woman inside of the commitment of marriage. So sex, any type of sex that's outside of that definition is outside of God's design for sexuality. Think about it this way. If you have a fireplace, that fire is a beautiful thing in its proper place, in its proper location. But if the fire gets out of the fireplace, then you've got a problem on your hands. In our home, we have a a wood fireplace. And the logs, you put the logs on, and if you're not careful, those logs can roll out of the the fireplace. It's not a wood stove, it's an open fireplace. And years ago, we had lit a fire. We're having some friends over. Our friends rang the doorbell. As soon as they got into our family room, one of those logs rolled off into the carpet and began to burn the carpet. And it was quite a scene because the fire was wonderful in the fireplace, but now it's outside of the fireplace and it's burning our carpet. I didn't know what to do. I'm freaking out, so I just reach down, grab the log, and throw it back into the fireplace. And that's sexuality. When it's inside of the commitment between a husband and a wife in a marriage, man, it's glorious, and it's good. It's it's life-giving. But when it's outside of that, then it brings great damage. So this man is living outside of God's design for sexuality, and he's having sex with his father's wife, his stepmother. So it's it's twisted, it's, it's perverted, it's clearly outside of God's design. And Paul says, look, this isn't even named among the Gentiles, the unbelievers. They're not even living in this fashion, but yet this is taking place inside of the church. And this is the wrong message getting reported. When there is sexual sin inside of the church, it's the wrong message going out to the world. Instead of the gospel and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ, we have all seen and heard of when compromise enters into the church and there's sexual sin, it really taints the message going out to the unbeliever. So God has called us to live in, in sexual integrity. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. It's God's will for us, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. We also forewarned you and testified. So it's the will of God that we would know how to walk in sexual integrity, that we, through God's power and might, could set ourselves apart unto the Lord to say, God, I want to walk in sexual integrity into worship to you if we are struggling in sexual sin, compromising in sexual sin, ultimately it comes down to our worship and being set apart to the Lord. So it's Paul's love for this man, for this church, that he calls this man out on his sexual sin, but he also challenges the church in verse 2, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So not only is it the wrong message that's going out, but this is the wrong response. This is the wrong response. They're puffed up about the fact that they're accepting this man who is in sexual sin. The church knows it. It's not hidden. They all know he's having sex with his stepmom, coming in to worship, coming into fellowship. Instead of challenging this man, they're getting puffed up and saying, oh, we're such a loving church, then we're going to accept this sexual sin. We're going to accept this man in his sin instead of of challenging him. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a lack of love to challenge the sexual sin. Remember, we've got to remember God's definition of, of love, love challenges. So they were wrongly understanding love, thinking that, oh, it's the loving thing for us to do, to not challenge this man's sin. Unfortunately, I think that this is where the American church has largely gone when it comes to sexual integrity. Many churches have decided to throw out God's truth on sexuality and in the name of love have accepted sexual sin even to the point where they say God blesses the sexual sin. Hey, it's okay if you live together as long as you love each other. It's okay if you live in a homosexual relationship. And there isn't a commitment to truth when it comes to sexuality. Where they should be standing for truth, instead they've gotten puffed up on this so-called expression of love. What's interesting is this is nothing new. This is not new for the church to respond this way to sexual sin, unfortunately. I believe personally that this is the greatest challenge that faces the church as a whole is to stand true to God's word about what God says about sexuality. Remember, God is the one who designed us male and female. God is the one who designed marriage. God is the one who instituted marriage. It's his definition and so we're going to find abundant life when we live inside of his truth his truth sets us free they should have been mourning the apostle paul says instead of being puffed up they should have been in a place where they're they're broken as a community as a body of believers over this sexual sin that is taking place in their midst and i do believe that this is appropriate for us as believers is to have mourning over the sexual sin that's inside of the church. Not, not outside of the church necessarily, but inside of the church. The pornography use inside of believers should cause us to mourn and to cry out to the Lord. The adultery that takes place inside of the church should cause us to mourn. The fornication, couples having sex together outside of marriage should cause us to mourn. It's crippling and destroying the church. So getting to that place of of being broken before the Lord and saying, God, would you purge us? God, would you cleanse us? God, would you do a work in our lives? One thing to keep in mind is the city of Corinth was notorious for its sexual immorality. They had many pagan religions that did not value sexual purity. It wasn't hard for someone from Corinth to be religious, but for them to live in sexual integrity was counter their culture, counter these false religions. The Greeks had a saying, mistress we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. So the culture of Corinth is much like the culture that we're living in today, but that didn't stop the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't say, I know that the cultural norm in Corinth is sexual sin. I know you'll be persecuted if you choose to live by God's truth with sexuality. That didn't stop the Apostle Paul from expressing the will of God in this area. In verse 3, Paul then begins to bring judgment on this situation. He says, For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done this deed. When Paul says he's judging, it's not that he's condemning this man to hell, or saying that this man is beyond restoration. In fact, the whole thrust of what Paul is saying and what Paul is doing is to try to bring this man to repentance for the purpose of restoration. So, this is not judgment like you're going to hell, but he is saying, I know what's right and wrong in this situation. And I can tell you what's right and wrong without even having to be there. We assume that the stepmom is probably not a believer and not in the church because she's not addressed, it's only the man uh, in this situation. Verses four and five are bold. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's quite a statement. He says, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the character and the nature of Christ. Whenever we see the name of Christ, it's who Jesus is. So this discipline is in accordance with who Jesus is. Jesus is gracious, but he's also truthful. And Jesus in his love for us will deal with our sexual sin. He'll bring other believers into our sin to confront us and to challenge us. That, that lines up with the character of who Jesus is. And Paul says it also lines up with my spirit, who, who I am, but also of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has absolute certainty on what they're to do with this particular situation. The discipline is also to take place in the gathering of the believers. So there's accountability there. So the believers know that this man is in sexual sin and how to be able to address him. And verse 5 then takes us by surprise. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. There seems to be that inside of the church, not the church building but fellowship as believers and prayer for one another, there's protection from the enemy. I think we'd all agree with that. So this man is to be delivered outside of the church because he's unrepentant in his sexual sin to where there's no longer that protection over him when it comes from the attack of the enemy. Satan then is able to attack him in a greater way that his flesh would be destroyed and in turn his spirit would be saved in the day of Christ. The whole purpose of the discipline is for restoration. The whole purpose in this man being put out of fellowship for this season is so that his spirit would be saved, so that he would come out of the sexual sin and God would redeem and restore his life. I like the way Warren Worsby put this. He says, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it's a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. If there's not utmost brokenness and humility by those that are implementing the discipline, then they're in error. So they're to go to this man with a firm stance, but with a broken heart, with hopes that there is going to be restoration. God's heart is not condemnation in this, but it's restoration. If you find yourself in sexual sin this evening and you're thinking, can God forgive me? Yes. And can God change and transform my life? Yes. I'm sure everything inside of you says, man, I just am going to turn this live stream off. But keep listening. Because you know inside of your heart and your mind that that pornography is destroying your life. You know that having sex outside of marriage is actually destroying the relationship that you're in. It's bringing destruction instead of edification. You know that that person that you're flirting with and fantasizing about that's not your spouse is wrong and there's that conviction of the Holy Spirit And if you could catch a vision of what God wants to do in your life if you choose repentance. We see the truth of verse five in the prodigal son. The prodigal son left the family, left the shelter and the protection of his father's love and his father's care. And it was destruction. It was starvation. It was feeding pigs that ultimately brought him to that place of My father's servants have it better than I do. I'm gonna go back and request to not be a son, but to be a servant. As he came back in repentance and brokenness, the father rejoiced to see him and restored him. And that's what God will do in our lives as well. Verse six, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Paul once again says, You tolerating this behavior, you're glorying over the fact that you're accepting sexual immorality, it's not good. Then he challenges them and says, don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? It's just a little bit of yeast and that yeast goes into the bread and impacts the whole loaf. Sin, sexual sin, how much sexual sin does it take to impact the whole loaf? Just a little bit. In Ephesians 5, Paul exhorts and says, don't let there even be a hint of sexual immorality. It's going to have its destruction. It's going to take its impact. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent." So a little bit affects the whole lump. God may be convicting you in your thoughts. Maybe you're being faithful in your outward actions, but your heart has gone astray. And Jesus tells us if we've lusted after a woman in our heart, we've committed adultery. It's time to deal with those thoughts, to confess that before the Lord in brokenness. Allow the Lord to purge us Allow the Lord to get the leaven out of our lives. Paul takes this deeper in a deeper understanding and brings us to the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of Passover. He says, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. So so purge out, take out the old leaven because you're a new lump. So this sexual sin doesn't have place in our lives because we're a new creation of Christ. So take the old leaven out, allow it to be removed from your life. And in context here, the old leaven is sexual sin. So how is sexual sin purged out of our lives? Through repentance, through us getting to a place where we're broken before God and we turn, we turn from sin. And we confess our sin to God and one another. One of the most powerful things, especially in the area of sexual sin, is when we do confess to other believers. Men sharing with men, women sharing with women. This is where I've compromised. Would you pray for me? And James 5 tells us that when we confess and pray for one another, that God brings healing. As long as we keep our sexual sin so-called private, there's not gonna be deliverance and healing. I would even suggest to you that in humility, that we're not at a place of repentance if we're gonna keep it private. If we're gonna keep our, our sin private, then we haven't come to a place of repentance. So turning to God, sharing with believers, allowing them to pray for us, it's so important to receive God's forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness. In this area of sexual sin, it's very difficult to receive forgiveness. To know that the blood of Jesus does cleanse our sexual sin. And then put in the good. Get serious about God's word and studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it. Walk in community with other believers. Be in that place of accountability. Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Run from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness and faith with those who call upon the name of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.22, so we're fleeing, we're pursuing, but we're doing that together with other believers. But in order for sexual sin to be taken out of our lives, there needs to be action on our part. There, There needs to be repentance that takes place in our lives. Here's the key, the end of verse seven, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Paul is using this illustration from the book of Exodus where there was the feast of unleavened bread for one week leading up to Passover. So you had to go through your home and make sure there's no yeast, there's no leavened, and you had unleavened bread for a week. And it was a picture of God taking sin out of our lives. Not just what we eat, no yeast, but that my life would be set apart for God. And God, what is it in my life that you want to to purge. That would lead right into Passover celebrating when the lamb was killed and the blood was put on the door of the home and death passed over, judgment passed over. The children of Israel as they had the first Passover were to eat all of the lamb and they were to eat the lamb with their sandals, with their shoes on, the scripture tells us. And the reason was is because the lamb being killed resulted in them being delivered from bondage, and they were to be ready to walk out of Egypt. When we take communion, we need to take communion with our spiritual shoes on, knowing that it's the death of Jesus Christ that purges us from sin, that Jesus is our Passover, that those lambs that were killed were pointing to the ultimate lamb that died for us. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, when he died upon the cross, he pays the penalty for our sin, but he also broke the power of sin in our lives. It's at the cross that the bondage of sexual sin is broken. To allow the blood of Jesus to pay the price for our sin, but also to know I don't have to give in to lust anymore. This man that is sleeping with his stepmother doesn't have to stay in that place because Jesus died for his sins and rose again. He's a believer and Christ in him can purge him of sin and change him and allow him to walk in a pure life. One of the messages I think that doesn't get out enough is You can live your life as a Christian without pornography because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No matter what the past is, no matter what the mistakes have been and the sin has been, Jesus is able to come and he's able to purge us, but it will not work apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we're not gonna experience freedom from sexual sin. Paul takes it right to the source of power, and it's the lamb who was slain for us. But we appropriate that. First in forgiveness. I'm forgiven of my sexual sin. I I repent of my sexual sin. And also, through the sacrifice of Christ, you're giving me the power to be able to live differently. All of the things that I mentioned in verse 7 are important. Repentance, receiving forgiveness, putting in the good, walking in communion with believers. But the source of all of that is Jesus Christ crucified. It, it's what Jesus has done for us. It's who he is, the reality that he is with us and he is enabling us that then in that place of the cross we walk in forgiveness. That at that place of the cross we're able to walk with other believers. That place of the cross, we're able to live that victorious Christian life. Man, if I could come right into your family room right now, I would declare to you in Jesus' name, there's hope in overcoming sexual sin because of who Jesus is, because he's the the Passover lamb. In verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of Passover, Paul's saying let's keep the feast not in some kind of religious outward way, but let's keep it with sincerity and with truth. Let's allow the Lord to search us and know us and to take the sin, the yeast out of our lives. Let's allow Jesus to be the passover lamb and the challenge for us is getting to that place of sincerity and truth when we look at this man's life and his story i wonder what the details were i wonder if he walked strong with the lord i wonder if there were times that he shared bible studies inside of the church i wonder if there was times that he shared his faith with with unbelievers But he let his guard down, maybe stopped drawing near to the Lord, stopped worshiping, stopped reading the word, but he kept coming to church. But before he knew it, he finds himself with his stepmom and is now living in that place, and sexual sin has dominance in his life. And he got away from walking with the Lord in sincerity and walking with the Lord in truth. And unfortunately, sometimes we can play games with the Lord, And we do the feast of unleavened bread. We do the feast of Passover. We take communion. We go to church. We are involved in youth group and we know the right things to say. But it's been a long time since we drew near to the Lord in sincerity and truth. And God loves sincerity and truth. He loves a broken and contrite heart. When we get to that place where we're sincere with him and we're truthful with him and we're ready to receive his truth. In verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people, yet I certainly didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So there's two different ways that we're to interact with a believer and an unbeliever. A believer who's walking in unrepentant sexual sin, we are to not keep company with them. And we'll see more why in just a moment. But someone who doesn't know Christ and they're walking in sexual sin or some of these other sins that are listed here, we wouldn't not spend time with them because they're an unbeliever. Jesus was the friend of sinners. So we should expect that people that don't know Christ as their Savior are going to walk in these things because they need to be saved and they need to know Christ. At the end of verse 10, it says, since then you would need to go out of the world. So if you didn't spend time with unbelievers, then you'd have to go live in some kind of commune, and that's not the heart of God. He addresses how we're to interact with a believer who's in unrepentant sexual sin. Verse 11, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. The word keep company literally means to mix up together. It speaks of fellowship. In this time when you would share a meal with someone, it was an expression of unity together. What needs to take place before verse 11 is implemented is Matthew 18. So please write down Matthew 18, look it up, and read it through, because it says if a brother is in sin, we're first to go to them one on one for the sake that they would repent and the relationship would be restored. If they don't hear us in that, then we're to grab two or three people to come with us and lovingly confront them again. Love is to confront. For the hope that they would repent and if they don't repent that then we would go to the elders of the church and the elders of the church would come and be that final step of confrontation if then they don't listen to the elders of the church then it's time to implement church discipline that's taking place here in verse 11 with this man who's sleeping with his his stepmother so you might be asking how does this work at rocky mountain calvary we believe in loving biblical church discipline and accountability, and at times have had to walk with people through Matthew chapter 18, hopefully lovingly and a lot of humility, giving someone the opportunity to be able to repent, going to them one on one, going to them with two or three, then the elders of the church. But if they choose, to clearly walk in rebellion and disobedience to God, then out of love for them, we've got to let them know, hey, you're not welcome here until, the most important thing, until there is repentance. And as soon as there's repentance, then you're welcome to meet with the elders and be restored back unto fellowship. I've got to tell you, this is definitely one of the hardest things that we have to do as pastors. There's not been a time But I've had to do this with the other pastors at our church where my heart hasn't been completely broken and tears coming down my face and pleading with someone that this is not the road that they would go on. But if they continue on it, then we don't have any choice. We've got to be faithful to God's word, we've got to love them and say, Look, we've got to hold you accountable. And this is an important part of the health of a church family. And when you commit to a church family, and here at RMC, when you choose to make this your home church, then you're a member. We don't have official membership. It's important to understand that you're making yourself available to this kind of biblical accountability. We want this in our lives. We all have the capacity to go off course. And when we do go off course, we need a brothers and sisters in Christ. We need our church family to be able to challenge us in this way. The other things that are listed here is covetousness, which is you must have more. Idolatry is to put other things before the Lord. A reviler is someone who is a character assassin. A drunkard is the abuse of drugs and alcohol. The extortioner is someone who steals by violence. But the idea here is just this persistent, rebellious, unrepentant sin that's confronted and they're not willing to to turn and yield from it. And we end with verses 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do not judge those who are, are, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves evil persons. This is interesting. God's saying, don't go around holding unbelievers accountable in this way. God will deal with them. But for those inside of the church, we have been tasked with the responsibility of keeping each other accountable for sexual integrity and integrity in general. So let's look to make some applications tonight. Hopefully you're still with me and you're still listening. Sure is an easy time to tune me out and turn me off quite literally. But here's some applications. First is accept and live under God's design. Live in his truth for sexuality. God has created you, a male, biologically, live inside that design. If God has created you as a female, biologically, live inside of that design. God chooses your sexuality. We don't get to choose our sexuality. Choose for sex to be expressed only inside of the covenant commitment of marriage between a man and the woman. And if you haven't accepted that design, if, you, if you're wondering, is that what God really teaches on sexuality, go back and read the first few chapters of, of Genesis. If there's ever been a time where we need to accept God's design for sexuality, it's now. And where there needs to be repentance, turn from sin. We have a, a gracious God and a good God who's going to free us from sin as we repent and are broken before him. Allow the blood of Jesus, Jesus the Passover lamb, to purge us from our sin. It may be sexual sin. It may be pornography. Unfortunately, pornography, the use of pornography has gone way up with the coronavirus. God would love to do a work in your life tonight in that area or adultery or sex before marriage, really allow your heart to be broken before the Lord and allow the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, to come and cleanse you and purge you. I really encourage you tonight, if you're in that place of needing to repent, that you do reach out to a believer that you can trust and express to them. You don't have to go into all the details, but I'm turning from this sin. Would you pray for me? and allow God to do that purifying work and rely upon the blood of Jesus. It may not be sexual sin. It may be another area of our life. Maybe this covetousness, maybe this reviler, maybe bitterness, but the Lord's saying, I want to do this purifying work in your life. Jesus wants to be the Passover lamb. He wants to cleanse us from the yeast in our hearts and our lives. One of the good things, one of the ways that God can use the coronavirus if we allow him to is we have more time. And let's take that time to draw near to the Lord and say, God, what is it that you wanna purge out of my life? What is it that you wanna change out of my life? And this is really important before we leave this chapter and I think it really pertains to the health of Rocky Mountain Calvary, is we need to understand that discipline expresses love. Discipline expresses love. This is a hard chapter in the Bible. This is tough love that we see here, but it's an expression of God's love. Paul is expressing God's love here, and we need to love each other enough inside of Rocky Mountain Calvary, not going around and Sin, sin sniffing or trying to discover sin or those type of things, but when when sin is blatant, is that we love each other enough to care for each other and challenge one another, that we would hold each other accountable. We'd say this is this is difficult. There's a responsibility here on us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and a greater responsibility on the pastors and elders of RMC to understand and express biblical discipline. So if you ever find yourself in a place at this church or another church where you need to either receive discipline from your church family or administer church discipline, that you would understand that it is loving, that that person is is loving you by bringing that discipline Uh, in your life. So there'll be times when we need to receive it, and times that we need to administer it. But hear this before we go tonight, is God wants to restore. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. Stay tuned with this man, because we're going to read more of him in 2 Corinthians in a few months. And he did repent, and Paul says, man guys, it's time for you to welcome him back into the, the church family. There's no sin That's too grave that Christ cannot forgive and Christ cannot restore. So don't hide it, but bring it to the Lord, confess it to the Lord, bring it to a believer that you can trust. Allow God to shine his light upon it and bring restoration. But it's gonna involve some difficult choices. For some of you, there's relationships that you need to break off. You need to block that person from your phone, get them out of your life. You're in sexual sin, flee, run away. Take those steps to stop looking at pornography. There's a lot of wonderful tools to allow everything that you do online to be accountable to others but really allow the Lord, Christ, to meet you. It's not just about the steps, but it's Christ meeting you where you realize what's at stake is my relationship with Christ. Maybe you've been so stagnant in your relationship with the Lord and you're wondering what's missing, and what's missing is you've been in sexual sin. What's missing is you're walking in lust and that's consuming it. I know right now I'm talking to believers that you're in a dating relationship and you're in sexual sin, and you're wondering, what's wrong with this relationship? Why is God's blessing not on this relationship? And it's because of the sexual sin. And you're never going to know what that relationship could look like until you're in that place of walking in sexual integrity. Men, some of you are wondering, what's wrong with my marriage? And it's your pornography. And you're never going to know what God wants to do in your marriage until You stop looking at pornography. That repentance sounds like such a heavy word, but it's beautiful, it's freeing, it's life-giving. We have a loving father that wants the best for us. He's got a good plan, he's got a good design. You know, maybe for some of you, you're living in this bondage where you're like, man, I'm homosexual, I'm transgender, and you're having a loving father that's saying, no, I, I created you this way. And I've got a wonderful design for you. And for you to be able to accept his design for your life. And then the blessings begin to flow. The blessings begin to pour into your heart and life. I know this is a deep topic. And we're here to minister to you as as pastors and and ministry team. And if you would like to reach out on the comments in the chat, then we'll start to talk with you uh, directly. And do further ministry or call the church office. Man, if your marriage is really in hurt and it's on the rocks, man, call the church office. We'll get you into counseling. Send an email. But we're here to be able to minister to you. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. You love us enough to discipline us. And it's proof that we're your children. We're your sons and we your daughters. In a way that I can't, through the power of your spirit, would your spirit just reach through the camera, reach through the airwaves, into hearts and into lives? And where there's a need for repentance in our lives, may we respond tonight. From thoughts to actions, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the answer. You're the answer. Your death upon the cross, you're the lamb who takes away our sin. The penalty of sin is paid for. The power of sin is broken. And Jesus, would you come in to those areas of sexual sin as we turn to you? And would you shine the light and shine hope and shine forgiveness and show a path forward? I pray in Jesus' name that you would heal marriages. Set them free from the bondage of sexual sin. For those dating couples who are believers that have been compromising sexually, God, would you give them a vision for what you have for their relationship? Would both of them choose to be committed to sexual integrity? And would you give them the power to be able to live it out? Lord, for married couples, Lord, I pray that you would bless their intimacy or that they would experience the fullness of what you designed inside of the beauty of marriage. I pray for those that are wrestling with homosexuality and transgender, that you would assure them that you love them and that you designed them just the way that you want them to be, that they're fearfully and they're wonderfully made. So, Lord, we love you. And we thank you. Would, would you help us as a church family, as a body of believers, to be healthy spiritually, to love each other enough to hold each other accountable? So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.